and nostalgic podcast this week happy of course because of the 2710 victory over Leicester Tigers nostalgic because we're back out to our original post podcasting seats in the stand at uh, Kingspan Stadium this is where we did the very first podcast I yeah. believe we, the, the, uh, first, the first five or six probably we, we just had the tractor there as well so it's uh, unbelievable just getting flashbacks from last year and we're actually <laughs> recording this on my phone once again because I forgot the microphone so the sound may be better or worse this week you can let us know if it's better because if it is then we'll probably just sack off that other microphone because some people were complaining and we don't like that people wanted us to get that microphone for so long so if oh, now yeah. we've got it it's better um you made me paranoid there but you did get the score wrong what no what no, no i i'm gonna step up and put my was hand it 24 10 it's 24 10 gareth, gareth mm-hmm. has, right look look i'm trying to mm-hmm. hold my hands up here mm-hmm. gareth asked me the score before we started recording and i said it was 27 no, no, 10 and no. got it wrong well gareth did ask but what what i actually said was was the score 24 10 i didn't just say what was the score i actually knew what it was well i had and then i was wrong described as a minor cardiac event there because i was like have i said the score <laughs> wrong in everything i've written about the game since uh, i wondered why you were both laughing i was getting very self-conscious i wasn't laughing i was panicking <laughs> i was panicking too because as you looked around i was thinking to myself i know what i've done here yeah. but how long is it going to take for johnny to find it out and <laughs> for me to have to own up to my mistake podcast will have done an absolutely dreadful <laughs> start already hold on guys Bring back Mark Robson, eh? Um, so, yeah, this week we're going to look back at that 24-10 victory over Leicester Tigers, as I said there. And uh, we'll also look ahead to this weekend's trip to Paris to face Racing. That will all be in about 10 seconds, and then the rest of the podcast will just be spent talking about Michael Lowry, probably. Um, just going to guess that here and now. I don't know why we're wasting our time talking about anything else. Yeah, I absolutely don't either, so... There was no Man of the Match podcast after, or podcast, there was no Man of the Match uh, poll on Twitter after the game, but was it Michael Lowry? As impressive as he was, I would have given it to Will Addison, but uh, I fear that's the answer you probably didn't want. (laughs) No, look, uh, I'll talk about Will Addison first for a second. I think he brings such a difference to that Ulster back line. Mm. Uh, You just saw how well he does at spotting a gap he is always breaking the gain line he's always looking uh, to try and make that little bit extra yards he's been a real class addition to this Ulster backline a really great signing and one that was maybe overlooked a bit over the summer but I think he's really revolutionised Ulster's backline but moving on to Larry I really felt for him in the build up to the game because being named at 15 for your first Ulster start against the Leicester side who very clearly were going to send up uh, balls from Orbit to begin the game to test them out and which they did and just sent Jordan Oluwafella who had about a foot of a height uh, advantage on him and just sent him screaming down the channel towards him it was a really tough start for him but all credit to him after dropping that one in the 11th minute that led to Leicester taking the lead. He really settled into the game really well. He took a great catch down below us uh, where he won the penalty for uh, Oluwafella not releasing. 
and then he just really came into his own with some great steps. Um, he was right on the shoulder of Addison whenever he made that breakthrough. And then to back himself to go for the line, he, he was so close to making it. And I think if he'd maybe taken a little bit more of an angled run, he would have made it and Ford wouldn't have caught him. But just the confidence he had to back himself, the confidence he had to always uh, go for the gap, I thought he was really, really good on his first start. He's He looks a very wise head on young shoulders. And certainly if people are trying not to get too overhyped on him, uh, I think that... Sunday didn't, or sorry, Saturday didn't really do anything to dispel those uh, hyped-up rumours. Uh, uh, I was going to call you Adam uh, mentioned that eleventh minute error. Uh, what were you sort of as possibly Michaelary's biggest fan? What were you sort of thinking at that stage? I, I think, don't think anyone beats you as Michael Lowry's biggest me? fan, Gar. I think <laughs> like John. having uh, having championed them for like three years. Um, I was fearful for him, like whenever um, we heard whatever it was Thursday that he was um, going to be starting at fifteen, just tied in really to what the uh, to what the weather forecast was because mm. you could see exactly what was going to happen. And then, sure enough, um, first high ball goes up and he knocks it on. It you probably felt felt like a nervous older brother watching him or something. <laughs> I was sort of watching it through my hands, being like, "No, no, this can't happen." Um, Galvin White missed an open net for Northern Ireland last night. <laughs> oh, I was—I actually shrieked. I don't know whether we're going to have to actually rein this in because I think it was funny when he wasn't playing. Yeah. <laughs> but now that he's actually just an Ulster player, it might actually become weird pretty soon. Yeah. So we might and also like inadvertently probably heap like serious pressure on him if people take yeah, what we say seriously. I love the way Adam this guy's supposed to be unreal. I love the way Adam was talking about those people that are hyping him up. It's like <laughs> we are a one man band when it comes to hyping him up. I mean he's been hyped up on other social media apart from us. Yeah. He's I feel like we're leading the way. Whenever whenever he was coming through the school system, there was so much Expect- expectation that he would come through and he would be a really good player for Ulster. Now admittedly a lot of people thought he'd come through at 10 and mm. he seems to be making his break into the team at 15 due to necessity Look, you can see that he's got a lot of talent about him and to me he did live up to the hype on Saturday. Mm. He's still got a long way to go that's what we saw on Saturday isn't going to be the finished product. We know that. Ulster know that. And I think everyone knows that. But certainly that's, that's a great start from a guy who we fully expect to be a cornerstone of this Ulster team for the next five, ten years. So back to not hyping him up too, too much. Um, now we'll throw in a couple of Leicester questions because people have been talking about him. Peter Lockhart, first of all, asked, given that assured performance at the weekend, is he looking a legitimate option at ten? Probably not for this season, um, but I still think Ten's going to be his best position. Ten's going to be where he can influence the game the most. And you look around the uh, teams that do well in Europe, the teams that do well in the in the Pro Fourteen. Like it's it's no secret that Johnny Sexton is Leinster's most important player. You need a ten, and um, that's where he's he's going to play going forward. I would say and. I don't think it'll be too long before he is a legitimate option to start at 10 in the first-choice team. 
if we move on to the second listener question then from Select15 says he's a big fan he or she actually because uh, that is a rather genderless name there so I'm not sure I'm a big fan of Damien McKenzie uh, I think Megalaurie will be the Northern Hemisphere version very soon any thoughts? Well, this for is the, not fitting in. We're not hyping them up. I think we're on board with for, us here. Like, it's an interesting comparison to make, and I'll say it's an interesting comparison to make because that is the player that Willie Anderson described him as most like. Now, that's not to say that he is going to be a test level quality All Black very soon, but just I can understand where well, he, if he becomes an All Black. That's, that's a story. <laughs> that would be that's really impressive. Um, I can I can see where he or she is coming from in the comparison of their style of game and especially being able to switch between fifteen, ten, and centre. Fair. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You'd hope he maybe doesn't become quite like Mackenzie in that he doesn't have an established preferred position I think Mackenzie does maybe lose out a little bit because he he doesn't have that defined position of mm. 10 who can also play 15 or 15 who can play 10 he I is I think we want to see him more as 2005 Dan Carter exactly if we're going to make uh, <laughs> exactly. if we're going to make all black comparisons <laughs> does he listen to the podcast does anybody know I sincerely hope so <laughs> I hope he doesn't because that would make it very strange yeah <laughs> would be you have to ask him whenever you get talking to him he actually he did post much there on um, Saturday on Saturday really? night, and you didn't ask. I had, my first question to him wasn't going to be, um, <laughs> Michael, is there any chance that you listen to the podcast? And if <laughs> so, do you ever question my journalistic integrity? <laughs> um, what was he like then? Sort of, I haven't spoken about him for the last year and a bit. <laughs> what was he? What's, what's he like when you actually get talking to him? Oh, I'd interviewed him before in oh, okay. uh, schools cup, like. Um, but no, he spoke very well. He was very, uh, very assured, very calm. And I had uh, Roy Best sat beside him for the entire time, so he had uh, an old head to sort of guide him through yeah. the process. Plus, after the team wins and you play well, it's not like it's a particularly difficult thing to do. Like, is that's it? true. That's true. Just uh, Adam said that Will Addison was in one of the match. Would you agree with that? Or? Well, the reason that there is no man of the match poll this weekend was because after my complaints last week Adam asked how I felt about his four options and I said I was resigning on the spot if Michael Lowry wasn't among the four options <laughs> um, Will Addison could have been man of the match in each of his um, three games that he's played for Ulster and he hasn't won any of them um, I think I might we might have to start looking at Nick conspiracy theory because it's very very unfortunate <laughs> that uh, he's played that well in three games and the official man of the match has always gone to somebody else John Cooney had a good game as well. He did get the official one of the match nod. Um, Ian Henderson, I think it's not that it's unexpected because like Ian Henderson is the closest thing that Ulster have to a test line. Like I think if that series in twenty seventeen had gone on an extra week, I think he probably would have made the test team. So it's no surprise to see him putting in these performances, but in a sort of understated fashion almost, he's certainly Ulster's most important player certainly their best player um, Jacob Stockdale had a good game when he got onto the ball I thought that was probably Billy Burns' best um, best effort for Ulster until he then had to go off which saw Cooney go into 10 and Shanahan come on and the entire back row was good Nick Timoney probably the standout for me again he was another one that would have been in the mix for man of the match like it's no bad thing if you can't decide on a man of the match it all yeah. sounds very good there's a debut as well finally for Marty Moore how did he catch the eye? I thought it was a really brave call from Dan McFarland to bring Ross Kane off when he did because the scrum was visibly struggling again and they needed to make a change and it's not very often you see a coach 
going to his bench before half time. Now they've said Ross Kane was struggling with a, a shoulder injury, and that is true. But at the same time, to pull off one of your uh, props before half time, it's a really bold call from your coaching staff. But you saw how Murr came in and solidified that scrum. It really became a source of parity for Ulster as opposed to uh, one where they were being hammered at like they were in the early stages of the game. And it was a really good start from Murr. I think the fact that he came in having not played so far this season, he hasn't played a match for at least four months, four or five months, and he looked like he belongs at this level, which is something that Ulster have been crying out for. They've been crying out for someone to really stand up and say, this this prop jersey is mine. They're looking for one on the loose head side, um, and they're still looking for one on the tight head side. If Murr can replicate that performance, it'll it'll take a lot, because um, you, you've got to bear in mind he is still coming back from injury. But if he can stand up and keep performances like that going... There's no reason why he can't make that tight head jersey his own. And I'm sure with that added pressure of he wants to be back to where he was whenever he was with Leinster, he'll be itching to get back out there and keep impressing. The result in itself as Booja 14-point victory over Leicester is impressive. But if we're talking this season in terms of progress and in terms of performances, how sort of significant was the match itself? For this season... I think it's vitally important that they win all their home games, which they managed to do last year in this competition. Because I wrote about it last week where you really need to be in a position where even if you're not necessarily in the shake-up for the quarterfinals, then you need to make this place a really, really tough place to come. And we've seen last year with La Rochelle losing here and Wasps losing here. Hardigan's lost here, but they were awful. Um, how important it is to maintain your home form for them when you can launch into a position where you're in the shake-up for the quarterfinals. Now, don't get me wrong, if you win your home games, obviously you're not going to be too far away from the quarterfinals because you only need to pick up um, one win and maybe a bonus point away from home somewhere along the line. But like Ulster had lost to Munster by a record score. They had lost to Connors for the first time in 60 years. If they had a loss for the first time to the Leicester Tigers here, having beaten much, much better Leicester Tigers sides with worse Ulster sides, then I think it would have been a big blow. Now, nobody's going to admit that, no one's going to say to it, but it would have been massive, I think, if they had a lost, if they had a lost this game, just to the feeling around the place. Now, at the same time, like you can't get too far ahead of yourself because, as we say, it's not a great Leicester Tigers team by any means they've sacked their coach after one game um, defensively they're not good their line out is really not good and that was a big big part of Saturday's game because for some reason they kept going to the corner even though their line out like I think they lose one out of every four of their line outs or something like that mm-hmm. um, so when you put all this together and then the fact that the concerns he had with Ulster coming in were um, how they were going to do under the high ball in that back three and the scrum and you saw both those things in the first 15 minutes looking like problems and then Ulster not um, not building a score but just continually going for tries to be in a position there when at the, come the end you were chasing the bonus point 
was it felt like a pretty unlikely turn of events after the first sort of 20 minutes half an hour of the game you know I still think there's a lot to be desired from this team. I was really disappointed at how Ulster didn't try to build that pressure. They've talked for a long time about how they're trying to be patient, build the phases, work through a few forward drives and then see what they can do. And especially with the man advantage, they just seemed to try to rush things. They tried to go maybe three phases at most before they tried to go for that killer blow when they really didn't need to you just build the phases and the space will come I think in the second half they improved a lot they became a lot more clinical aided by the fact that the scrum got parity and uh, the set piece in general was a lot better but I, I think Ulster are still trying to force things a little too much. They feel like they have to score at certain points and then whenever it doesn't come off, there's a sense of frustration that continues to grow. The, this is still a team that's doing a lot of learning and while it's good that they got the win, I think there's a heck of a lot still to be desired on Ulster's side. Well, we know that Michael Lowry section was somewhat shorter than you were expecting, but don't worry, because we have a little more about him, because Rory Best uh, spoke to the reporters after the match and did address how he thought Michael Lowry had got on. He did all right, didn't he? And, you know, I think the, like, the frightening thing with, with Michael is that um, my Ben, they're closer in age to him than he is to me. Um, you know, so it's just, I, I think it shows the calibre, that we know how talented it is, but to be able to stand up, and you had the first ball and you knew they were going to come after him there and just to stand up and won a class penalty on a 50-50 ball that he just said that that was going to be his and that's the attitude that we want from these young guys. We don't expect them to be perfect but we expect them to show that attitude and he showed that in spades and some of the handling out wide in what was very, very tricky conditions. I think it's testament to him and you know, having seen him around the place for the last... Um, just over a year, you know, we saw a lot of him last year bouncing on Swiss balls and bits and pieces, and you know, it, his work ethic, and I think that's what you saw out there tonight, and that's what you want from young players when they get an opportunity, they take it with both hands. Before that game, then I suppose we didn't really discuss it that much last week, but we have in previous podcasts. Nobody was really all that optimistic about progression from the Champions Cup. Has that altered at all? It has an altered for me off the back of that game because look, four points really is a minimum return at home in your first game if you are going to be in the mix. I know Scarlet's um, came back from losing um, first up last time, but the the thing that would alter my mind of playing for second rather than playing for third is the fact that Scarlet's lost at home yeah. to Racing, whereas if Leicester can... Um, do what Ulster did and win at home even though um, people aren't giving them much of a chance of getting out of the pool it changes the complexion of things because then Scarlets have lost their first two games still have to go to Racing and still have to come here but in isolation just beating Leicester Tigers at home with three tries wouldn't wouldn't change my opinion on their uh, possibility of getting out of the group but it'll be interesting to have this conversation this time next week knowing or you could even have it on Saturday morning next week, knowing how many mm. points Scarlets are sitting on after two games. Mm. What about Ulster's game this weekend then? Uh, they're, they're obviously playing a racing side, or highly fancied to potentially win the competition in Paris. Um, I mean, Racing have already got an impressive win at Scarlets, so um, 
Ulster have uh, no chance really, did it? <laughs> yeah, it's a completely different challenge to what it was last week. I thought Dan made a very good observation in post-match on Saturday night that Leicester's strength was in their unit, in the unit as a forward pack, whereas Racing have a lot of individual threats. You're looking at the likes of Nakarawa, Eddie Benarous, um, any combination of the back row that they can put out, LaRue, uh, Anthony Klassen, uh, guys like that. The, there's so many dangerous ball carriers in that team that Ulster just don't have the physicality to compete with. Um, I think that's one of the main things that'll happen on Saturday. But you just look at Racing's squad, you know, the, there's depth all over the show and it's quality all through the squad. There's nowhere in that squad where you would say that they're weak. There's nowhere where you would say that they're necessarily struggling at the moment. The one thing that Ulster can take is the fact that Racing have already lost twice at home this season. So their home form isn't exactly phenomenal. Right. But Who's, uh, who's up beat them? You know? Claremont beat them and Leon beat, beat them. Right. So they're not exactly invincible then. They're not. They're definitely not invincible at home. But the problem is, Racing play such a par-oriented game. They'll mm. just hit you up the forwards. They'll throw their big ball carriers at you one after another, and then all of a sudden they'll throw it out the backs and Simon Zebo's there to finish off tries as he seemingly seemingly does every week. So. The problem is Ulster have to be switched on for the full 80 minutes and they've got to bring a physicality to the game that they haven't had to bring so far this season. They're going to have to really step up in terms of what they're going to bring to the pitch on Saturday. And in my opinion, they just don't have that forward presence to stop Racing from going over the top of them. Like like Connacht did uh, a couple of weeks ago. Connacht provided the perfect blueprint on how to beat Ulster. Just... Mm work your forwards over the top of them and Ulster don't really have much of an answer and I think Racing have an even stronger pack than Connacht did and will probably just do exactly the same thing Jonathan you're fresh from watching uh, the Racing match this morning um, what what was your sort of take on it? Like I've seen Racing a good few times because like it's well documented that I hate tries so I try and watch <laughs> the league that has the least amount of scores in it so I see a fair amount of the top 14 like and they haven't been particularly impressive, to be honest. Like they're seventh in the league. Um, now, obviously, they are um, sort of the opposite of a normal French team in that they really f- target this competition. We've seen them get to two finals and lose two finals. So even moves like bringing in Dan Carter, like Dan Carter wasn't brought in to win the top fourteen. Dan Carter was brought in to help them win a European Cup, and it's something that they haven't been able to do. But I think if you're looking at ways for Ulster to get into the game, you know, this is the 13th rated scrum in the top 14. Last week, Ulster were going up against the best rated scrum in the Premiership. So there isn't that same, as much as everyone's bigged up their props and um, bigged up their scrummaging prowess, it hasn't played out on paper. Um, They've given away more penalties on their own put-in than they've won on their own put-in this year. Um, and the other thing with them is that they are so ill-disciplined. They give away more penalties than anybody else in France. And if you're looking at what Ulster really need to improve upon, is playing against a team that is going to give away penalties, much like Leicester Tigers did. When you do kick to the corner, 
you have to be coming away from, with points when you get in the opposition 22 and that's something that Ulster haven't just struggled with um, last week it's something that's been going on for a number of weeks and I think if you're looking at even going back to the Munster game like I thought their attack was okay but they just weren't making enough of the opportunities that they created and I don't get me wrong they weren't going to make 60 points worth of opportunities but just that idea of analysing what you're doing in the 22 and why you're not coming away with enough points is so key if you're playing against a team that are as ill-disciplined as Rassinger. We, the Ulster, speaking about the Ulster team then, we had the news this morning that John Cooney struggling with injury. I can't remember what the injury was now. What was it? AC, AC, Oh, yeah. Uh, so, what, so what can we expect from the, the lineup? Well, Cooney will be a late assessment if he... If he is fit to play, he will play. If he's not, then Dave Shannon will start and Johnny Stewart will come onto the bench. You'll probably have Marty Murph starting uh, yeah, after last, last week. Um, you'll maybe have one or two changes around about the place just to keep things fresh. But I'm, I wouldn't expect too many changes. You know, why, why fix what ain't broke, as they say. For me, whenever you look at what Ulster have been doing in terms of not being able to finish off their chances, that that's a problem coming into this week because you, you get the feeling this is one of those games where Ulster would be better served never kicking for goal and just going for points, just going for the four tries and hoping they can get the bonus point that way. And if they're hanging on to the coattails of Rassing, they can... Uh, they can then go for uh, another bonus point or potentially even steal the win. But look, the, this is a game where Ulster are very likely hoping to emerge with anything from the game. And if they do so, that will only enhance their chances of getting out of the pool, given that we expect them to come away with no points from this game. So if they can sharpen up that clinicality in the opposition 22, if they can get over the line just even a couple more times than they have been. Just be patient a few more times than what they have been. They d- they don't need to go for the Hail Mary plays after two or three phases. Just keep building and building in the 22, and eventually someone will slip up on the opposition defence. They'll, they'll maybe stand a little bit too far away from the guy beside them, and the gap will be there to go through. Just stay patient, and I think the tries will come. I just feel they're trying to force things a little too much. And then, if they can exploit that defence, they could get four tries. Walk away with a point from La Défense, they'll be delighted with that, in my opinion. Or four points. Um, Marty Murray come in for you, John? I would think so. I, I don't know what Adam's um, view on it is. I mean, my impression, I think, is that certainly they expect Cooney to play and I don't know mm-hmm. whether you know that could be smoke screening um, but I wouldn't think so I think you'd be more likely to say that he's not or that he's yeah, unlikely to play and then yeah. play um, Marty Moore could certainly come in for me it'll be interesting what they do with Michael Lowry because um, not to just continue to talk about Michael <laughs> no, Lowry but it's what the people expect I think a huge amount of what Ulster did um, last week with regards to their team was that they didn't want that trio of Ford um, Eastman and Tualagi setting Tualagi running at and 
presumably through Angus Curtis. Um, Racing aren't quite as physical in the centre, especially if Fakatawa doesn't play. Um, he was ill at the weekend, but it's very hard to know what Racing are going to do, whereas you could look at that Leicester backline and you could essentially pick it. There was a bit of change in the wings due to the Johnny May injury, but just, just on that note, can I can I just make one point? I thought Leicester were really per on Saturday, and that they were so easy to telegraph. First phase ball was always Manu Tuolangi playing crash ball up the middle, and from there there was no creativity at all. Well, absolutely, every line out that they had seemed to be set up to in a couple of you know you're looking at two phases off off the top of a quick line out launch Tuolangi at um, what turned out to be McCluskey and Anderson, and McCluskey and Anderson handled it pretty well I thought obviously the missed tackle at the very end but that wasn't off uh, a structured play as it mm-hmm. were um, but it's much harder to read I think what Rassing are going to do in the back line because you're talking about they're missing Lambie they're missing Machino, who's a big loss for them I think they're missing Bryce Doulon um, Juan Imhoff took ill last week and that was why we saw Zebo on the wing um, <coughs> and Vola Vola come in at fullback, so it's much harder to know what they're going to do in their back line, but it is in a lot of ways a clash of styles or supposed styles, Ulster want to play a quick game um, they haven't quite fine-tuned it yet, but that's what they want to do, and Racing don't want to play a quick game um, Racing want to play a forward orientated game, and then when it does come to it, release their X-Factor backs as it were it's not going to be a game plan to get their backs on the ball. So it'll be interesting for me to see if that changes what Ulster do. You might see it change, but then there is a possibility that Laurie played so well. And I think from talking to Will Addison, I do think that he likes to play centre more than he likes to play fullback. Um, there was definitely a sense of that. He was yeah. very much that 13 was his more assured position. I, I think he did... See that like, he was so impressive at fullback, but I just thought his ability even from centre to spot a gap was very impressive in my opinion. I think if they, if they feel like Michael Lowry is going to hold up defensively, I don't see any real need to change that back line if Cooney's fit. Mm. And up front, definitely Moore would start. And then I think once that happens, you're really talking about Ulster having almost a full strength their first choice team out there Mm. Um, I was just talking about this with somebody I can't remember who it was over the weekend where it's yes they now have a lot of injuries but with those boys that came back in on Saturday it looks a completely different Ulster team sheet and all of your injuries really are in the one position Mm. like you've got four or five boys there that could start but they would all be starting at 13 Mm -hmm. if everybody was fit I don't see there being a heck of a lot of changes there. Um, one, of, one of the only changes I could maybe see them making is, say, bringing Sean Reedy into the back row for someone just to just to keep it fresh and keep the rotation going. But I, again, I don't see why you would do that because I thought the trio of Kutsia, Murphy and Timoney worked quite well. But I, I could maybe see them bringing someone in just to keep that freshness. Yeah, I mean, Reedy, Reedy's a good player for a high-tempo game. Mm-hmm. And he's got maybe 
the little bit more presence at the breakdown at the minute. It's not like he's a groundhog or anything, but you know he maybe has a little bit more about him at the breakdown than Nick Timoney. But I just think Nick Timoney's been playing so well mm-hmm. um, of late that I wouldn't change that. And mm-hmm. if um, if Jordy Murphy's good to go again, then I think he'll definitely be in the mix and could see it obviously as well. So I can't. I can't really see them making too many changes, especially knowing that they've then got um, dragons, and you'll see a whole mm. host of changes for that game. Yeah. Well, looking ahead to this game, were a few Ulster players, but among them Will Addison. So here's a little bit of what he thinks. We've got the artificial pitch outside, uh, just behind the stands here. So we're, we've been on that twice in the last past few days, and you get a read on how the ball bounces. Um, I put, having played in the Premiership, we had three pitches up in Newcastle, Worcester and Saris. And so got a good bit of experience and the guys would have played it up at Glasgow as well. So you, you get that experience now with the bounce of the ball's different. Sometimes the quality of the rook speed's, speed's different. So we've all got that little bit of experience, but playing indoors I've never done before. So that'll be something new. But uh, the way we like to play is fast and loose. And I think that'll probably suit us in an indoor dry ball. See, the Heineken Cup, of it, the Heineken Cup, it's, it's not still called that, is it? You can call no, it the Heineken, Heineken Cup now if you want. I just quite like Heineken, so... Well, Heineken Champions Cup, so... Uh, yeah, you eventually can, Eventually, sort of. we're all going to have to reach a consensus where we just go back to calling it the Heineken Cup, because this is ridiculous. Yeah, let's just, let's just call that now. If, if you want to start it now... I'll, I'm, I'm happy to start it now. It's if. one of those things that it's a lot like Kingspan, where, like, it's probably best for me not to, because then mm. sub-editors will get really annoyed. Um, when it's in my copy if mm. it's in my head but mm. um, at the same time this whole hubbub about Heineken coming back on as a sponsor you know the less said about all the changes made to this competition probably the better but um, I think we'd always be a lot happier in ourselves if we started calling would, it the Heineken Cup again would. and maybe Heineken will come on as the sponsors of the podcast Just do, they, do they not sponsor somebody else do they not do they not sponsor Trimby's sponsor more than one Trimby's new podcast I wasn't aware of any other rugby podcasts in the world that's not mentioned there aren't any <laughs> um, <laughs> don't give people the, the there is only this one <laughs> Oh, we're going to talk about. Oh, yeah, just the Champions Cup in general. The Heineken Cup, sorry, in general. I've slipped back to the old res already. Uh, yeah, what did you make of the first weekend of, of this season's Heineken Cup? I think Leinster probably got a really struggle to defend their title. <laughs> he says with about as much sarcasm as he can muster. <laughs> um, it was a strange, strange enough game, like, if you think about it, given that it was... Leinster probably would have been going in disappointed at half-time, um, given the amount of territory and possession and just dominance that they had of really only having what that, was it a seven point lead or something um, at that stage before Sapoaga goes uh, goes to the bin and then the flood gets open you know he's coming back in and they're 21-3 down and then the game's gone by that stage and it's not too long before you see Sexton throwing uh, throwing the ball between his legs for tries and James Lowe tearing it up um, the other teams to really impress me were Munster um, that's a, as funny as it seems given that they were the one not to win that's the most impressive result um, for any Irish side this weekend to go to Sandy Park and get a draw and to play as well as they did Like, fair enough you could argue that they were lucky not to concede at the very end but um, that was a massive performance from them and um, size were impressive winning in, uh, in Glasgow as well not, not a particularly great game but um, a lot of intensity, which was made it engrossing, I suppose. Um, yeah, that's about it. We have to talk about Freddie Burns, though, that 
horrible, horrible mistake against Toulouse that we all feel so sorry oh, for him yeah, for, I, but, I <coughs> but we can't have any sympathy for him because if you're going to celebrate like that before you've actually scored the try, come on, mate. You, you've got to expect something like that might happen. Fair play to Maxime Maidar yeah. for sticking with him. You know, a lot of guys would just give up and say, ah, look, he's scoring the try. But Maidar raced back at some pace to knock it out of his hands. But that is a mistake that Burns will not be making again. I can guarantee you that. And I know he's very apologetic on Twitter. That's the kind of thing that can haunt you for a long time. Yeah, it's the equivalent of missing a putt and just going to tap it in like the end of the putter or something, in the back of the putter, and then yes. just knocking it wide. So unforgivable in golfing circles and equally unforgivable in rugby. Adam says that he has no sympathy for him. I instantly felt horrendous for him. Um, Adam's Adam's heart. I, I did as well. To be fair. Because it's one of those things. For him, whenever he's made such an incredible error. Because it's one of those things that's just so bad. Like, it's so bad that it's not funny. It remind, sorry to bring this up, Gareth, but it reminded me of the Champions League final and right. Carius, where it was just like, it, yeah, it, was, like it was so bad. Like, yeah. yeah, so bad that it, like, you couldn't laugh at it. Aye. And I think just in the context of having missed the penalty before, and like, he didn't have a bad game up to that point either. Medard, I thought, had a great game. Um, it was a pretty enjoyable game as well. And like, just to talk, I suppose, about. Um, I don't know where you guys watched it I watched it on Channel 4 and just their coverage of it um, I didn't watch it which will not surprise anybody who's listening to this podcast well, you, you were probably working I would say at 1 o'clock on Saturday afternoon were you? Uh, no took Saturday off because it's international weekend so I was working all day Friday all day yesterday and all day today so. well I gave you the out if you wanted to take it but you didn't okay fair yeah. enough I, no, I listened to it in the radio and got really frustrated by the commentator's repeated pronunciation of Kaino Jerome Kaino and um, Guitone Sofian Guitone he played well as well yeah. he played very well Cheslin Colby was outstanding <laughs> just just ridiculous feet um, Channel 4 yeah <laughs> well like I enjoyed their coverage to be honest um, getting Miles Harrison's on is a masterstroke just when you talk about calling the competition the Heineken Cup again he's, his voice is one that conjured up memories of, uh, of the Heineken Cup so whenever you were watching it you didn't feel like you didn't feel like you were watching it on an unusual channel because it just sounded like European mm. rugby because of Miles Harrison. Emily Scarred, I thought, was really good on co-coms. And it'll be interesting to see how things go with Jamie Heaslip as well because I know he's doing Channel 4, doing the um, Autumn Internationals as well. So it's something to watch. Like their preview, their preview program being on at half ten, first of all, through me. So I had to catch that on plus one. Um, it's maybe not going to give you a heck of a lot of insight in the way that we see things like the Pro 14 R and stuff on Premier Sport at the minute. You're not going to get an awful lot of tactical breakdown and stuff in it, but um, on the whole, for a new broadcaster, I thought it was pretty good. Good. Uh, uh, another um, publication, I don't know, uh, yeah, it's not really a very good bridge, is it? But here we are. I'm just trying to give you another plug for your book, so don't turn up your nose at my bl- uh, my bridges. I was just letting you see where you were going with it. It wasn't turning your nose. <laughs> Sorry, it certainly wasn't turning my nose up. <laughs> um, yeah, the book is now officially on sale. I felt bad because we didn't mention it last week and it was going on sale on Friday, I think, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, so it's out. You can buy it in Eason's um, in town if you're about Belfast. Um, you are a real Belfast person, I you? Just calls Belfast town. 
That really annoyed me. I call so Omer. I call the Omer Road the road. That's how oh, lo- that's, say, that's how localized second, I am. Like, um, so you, if you're if you're not in Belfast, like Gareth, then um, <laughs> you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it from the publishers, Blackstaff Press, and uh, it'd be really nice if you did. Be good. Yeah. Uh, any early feedback? Um, do you know what? Only um, one person. That is not. <laughs> no, we've we've sold well. We've uh, sold. I think sixty percent of the first run has gone to taken up by distributors already. So it's it's right. good. Oh, that um, impressive and a lot of days. But with it being out, I'll tell you no, I'm not from Belfast because I said a lot. Because say a lot. Yeah. <laughs> with it being out on Friday and this only being um, Tuesday lunchtime, uh, feedback from people that aren't related to me or the publishers yeah. is thin on the ground that's, but a, that's a quick read for anybody from, uh, from the, the one person that has read it that has no uh, has, has no dog in the race as it were um, <laughs> said it was good so yeah it'd be nice if there it'd be nice if there were a few uh, free copies kicking around for your journalist friends to give you some I feedback do. for you know, make a <laughs> people went into their pocket and pulled out a tenner would be a lot nicer for me <laughs> I do intend but it's it's uh, getting me out of a few Christmas presents uh, very easily <laughs> Emma's dad definitely getting that hopefully he doesn't listen to the podcast I was going to say yeah. um, anyhow moving on to our listener questions we'll start off with the weekly dono Ulster have had this is dono now Ulster have had 17 unavailable through injury which seems questionable Leicester have had two how does that happen is it luck or how do Leinster players return so quickly well we're going to shut down 17 unavailable through injury pretty quickly. I don't think it was ever that bad. Um, and Leinster only having had two injured isn't right either, given that... How many was it? They had three pull out before Jason Friday's Park game? Pulled out. Dan Levy pulled out before the game. So I assume the two injuries were the two injuries coming in, which were Will Connors and Barry Daly, I think, yeah. Oh, those two regulars in the Leinster starting lineup. Oh, uh, One of them was the Pro 14's top try scorer last year. Um, one of them was Will Connish. Um but to be fair to Donal if his no, numbers like, aren't quite right does yeah. he have a point I, I understand what he's saying completely and for me I just from talking to the players I don't think you can underestimate the effects of that South Africa trip because obviously you came out with big injuries off the back of it but just the travel and the fatigue that it caused to the bodies I think is a huge part of why Ulster had so many players unavailable at um, just coming into the last few weeks but a lot of those boys came back and look as we said um, the likes of Jordy Murphy Jacob Stockdale Marty Moore um, coming back into that team it gives it a very different gives it a very different look I think it's interesting you mentioned the South African uh, link haven't spoken to a few teams there's a general consensus that if they could have a week off after coming back from South Africa it would be preferable but they can't because of scheduling mm. um, I, I don't think you can put it down to anything you know, I, I don't think Ulster players are more susceptible to injury because of the way they're conditioned or anything like that there's, there's maybe a small difference somewhere but it's not a big enough difference that it's causing X number of players more to get injured from Ulster yeah. than Leinster I, I think it is generally just a case of luck yeah. The average um, percentage of your squad to be out injured at any one time is 20%. So if we're talking about Leinster only having two injuries at the minute, 
Leinster are more of the anomaly than Ulster are. Mm, that's fair. Matthew McNabb asks, is there any update on Henry Spate? And is there any word of anybody coming in post-Christmas to cover for injuries? Obviously, Spate will be heading back in January. I was going to say, yeah, speaking of injuries, Spate, we believe, is going to be back in full training next week. So that would be with a view to coming back in for the Dragons game, I suppose. I can't see anybody coming in for injury cover because, as we say, the vast majority of Ulster's first-team injuries at the minute are in... um, centre and Louis Ludic will be back before Spade departs so it just wouldn't be something that I can see I might be wrong Fair Robbie Martin can Ulster quell their critics Alan Quinlan called their that was a bit of a tongue twister start of that uh, Alan Quinlan called their performance sloppy against Leicester and uh, he can Ulster show some consistency this weekend so we can finally get rid of the basket case tag I haven't heard anybody call Ulster a basket case in a long time, but that was got rid of. Uh, harking back to the old Brian O'Driscoll days. Um, yeah, we, we talked earlier in the podcast about how Ulster need to show some more consistency, um, especially whenever it gets into the 22. There's a, they just seem unable to take a lot of their chances, and I, as I said, I feel like they're rushing things. Consistency now comes down to replicating performances. I don't think that results can necessarily be replicated. If if you said Ulster had a consistent perform or result, they'd be beating Racing by fourteen points, and I think it would take an incredible performance from Ulster to do that in Paris. Which means then you're upping your game as opposed to keeping it consistent. So I don't think you're looking for consistent results I think you're looking for consistent performances with a little bit of an improvement and I think that's the most important thing for Ulster at this stage especially in the context of this year you want a little bit of a an upturn in performance maybe not necessarily the result but you just want to see them having that little bit of an improvement and the consistency in performance not in results necessarily Mm. That's fair. John Cameron then asks, uh, can Marcel could see it? I've definitely got better at saying his name. You have? Uh, I'm impressed. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? But can uh, Marcel could see it, just say it again, extend his contract or is he caught by the Irish Q rule? Well, Johnny can maybe f- correct me on this if I'm wrong. He but just whenever comes back with impeccable time. <laughs> whenever could see it comes to the end of his contract, at the end of the year, he'll be 28. Yes, um, so he's he's not caught by the Irish rule that you can't give more than a year deal to over 30s. So he would be eligible to get at least two years, mm-hmm. if not more, if Ulster can, uh, can wangle it if they want to offer it as a contract. The question then is, one, would Kutsi accept it? And two, are Ulster going to offer it? Because... You do have to bear in mind that Kutsia's three-year deal has effectively become a one-year deal given how long he's been out for. Um, and do Ulster want to offer up another long-term deal to Kutsia if he's then going to go the same way, if he's then going to be ruled out for most of it? The likelihood is they will because he has been so good this year and if they could get two more years of 
what he's shown so far would be good. But then the question comes down to, would Kutsi accept it? And that's something that he's probably going to wait until he certainly later in the season to find out because if the Springboks come calling for him again, I think he'll head back to South Africa to get the best chance of best chance possible of playing for them. But if not, then perhaps he will stay on, reward the loyalty that Ulster mm. showed to him during his injury, which he said was going to be a factor when it came to sitting down discussing his future. I think we can talk about this and talk about this and talk about this, but Adam at the very end there got to the key point, which is if he plays well enough that Ulster are going to want to give him a new contract then he's going to play well enough to be in Springbok contention and if he's in Springbok contention then if we look at recent um, signings that the IRFU have rubber stamped they're not going to rubber stamp the signing of somebody who's going to be away for large parts of the season especially in a World Cup year so I think the days of us seeing players come in while they're still in international squads, are probably dead. And you, I, unless they're world, world, world class players, what you're going to see is the likes of James Lowe, who are just outside of that squad, squad Chris Clute, um being another one, or Kiwis, because they still have the rule in place that you're not going to be picked um, if you're mm-hmm. outside. I just can't see. Um, I just can't see it being sanctioned to sign somebody who's going to be away for, especially this year, where you're going to be away basically until November, and then in future years be away for the entirety of November. We've seen it with Elton Yantes, we've seen it with Stephen Moore and Munster. There's a real reluctance now to give contracts out to people that are still playing international rugby, and I'm assuming that Marcel Gatsia still wants to play international rugby. Well, there were plenty of questions in this week about Ulster A's, and that was for one specific reason. Well, they had a 49-12 win over Connacht Eagles. That was not the reason. The reason was because Aaron Sexton, as Ulster Rugby tweeted out on Monday, clocked 10.5 metres per second. I was going to say miles per second. That would be impressive. (laughs) Metres per second, or 37.8 kilometres per hour in a game versus Cardiff. That, they say, is the fastest speed ever recorded by an Ulster player in a match so cue plenty of questions basically being like is Aaron Sexton going to start this weekend well not really Aaron Purse did ask should he be thrown in for 20 minutes this weekend and Eamon J Tully asked do you see Aaron Sexton getting game time for the seniors this season everybody's talking about him well I mean we should note just because for the sake of accuracy the fastest speed clocked by an Ulster player since they started recording these things which which is when (laughs) probably last week Um, (laughs) not not no, a, not a lot it of was in, in fairly recent years. Not though. a lot of years, anyway. But everyone knows about the guy's speed. We've seen <coughs> Northern Ireland junior athletics records um, falling. But the more important thing from a rugby perspective, rather than the fact that he can run really fast, is the fact that he's scoring tries as an eighteen-year-old in a competition against, by and large, professional players. Um, so. The most important number for me is the seven tries that he scored. <laughs> but it's going to be really interesting to see how they, how they approach this. So it, I spoke to Karen Campbell about it um, this morning. And it seems like he's going to play for Ulster against Uruguay in the friendly in November here. Then he'll have games for the under-19s. Um, Australia, I think they've got first up. Um, 
So we'll be playing age grade rugby then. And then come January, there's going to be the school's cup run at Bangor Grammar. Now, it seems funny to like talk about somebody that was going up against, you know, Steph Evans was playing in that tournament and then he was <laughs> playing against um, Rassing last week for um, Scarlet's, but Aaron Sexton was playing in that tournament and now he's going to be going and playing um, school's cup rugby come, come the winter. But the, th- the most interesting thing for me from the whole thing was the importance that's being placed on making sure he doesn't mess up his A-levels because of this uh, involvement in the t- team. And it, it was almost a case of Ulster are going to feel somewhat responsible if he doesn't get the A-level grades that he should get. And we know the importance placed on the academy and having some sort of third-level education. So, well, I mean, first of all, he can't play this weekend because he's not registered to play. Um, but we're not going to see him play senior rugby apart from in that game against uh, Uruguay anytime soon mm. and he, sorry he also can't play or sorry, not he can't play he won't be playing all out in league rugby either yeah is he like obviously everybody's getting really excited because of these stats probably half the people haven't seen him play but um, from what you guys have, have seen of him is he, is he exciting like could he be our new Michael Lowry now that Michael Lowry has sort of surpassed us <laughs> yeah, no, he did play uh, he did play schools cup rugby as a fifth year I think he played a fullback rather than playing a ten but you know the parallel is there and yeah. if we if we want to get in on the ground floor <laughs> we've probably already missed the boat <laughs> no, probably have but we can still climb aboard the thing is simply because he's fast as a winger that means you can get it out as long as you get it out to the wing and he's in decent enough space he's going to get round players from mm. a standing start and that's very exciting purely from a from a winger's perspective in that you can as I just said you can get it out to him quickly and he's gonna make you yards simply by being faster than everyone else and Kieran Campbell was saying earlier that so much is made of his speed but his basic skills are also really sound mm. which is also such a big thing you know as, as long as his basic skills are good, he can use that pace to his complete advantage every time. Mm-hmm. And we saw in the game against Connacht at the weekend, if you give him that half yard of space, he's just gone and nobody can touch him. There's no winger coming through the system in any of the provinces who is clocking numbers anywhere close to him by all accounts. So it's one of those things that he could be a um, a one in a million player in terms of the speed you just have to hope that he can add all the skills together to make the most of that. Now, he, <laughs> I'm, I'm making him out to be, you know, the next great thing. He is only scoring tries at A level, and we've still got to see him go do it at under nine, Ireland under nineteen level. I've got to see him do it in the Schools Cup. But you know, if, if you can transfer that strike rate into every level you play at, you're gonna be a very useful player to have on a squad. And that brings us on to our club roundup. As you might be able to hear, we've had to go inside because they've um, unhelpfully decided to cut the grass at Kingspan Stadium. But with the clubs inside, is Adam. Thank you, Gareth. Uh, in Division 1B last weekend, Malone are the only unbeaten Ulster side left in Division 1B after they defeated St Mary's College 18-10 at Gibson Park. In the second Ulster derby of the year, Balnehinch and City of Armagh played out a 3-3 draw in awful conditions at Ballymacarn Park. While Schalke van der Merwe was among the try scorers as Bambridge defeated Buccaneers 24-0 and Ballymena were beaten 28-3 at Nace. In Division 2A, Queens made a back-to-back bonus point wins as they dispatched 
match Galwegians 45-10 at the dub. In Division 2B, Dungan won the battle of the Ulster sides as they came from behind to defeat Belfast Harlequin 16-9, while Rainey are still waiting for their first win of the season after losing 42-28 at Greystones. In Division 2C, Oma's great start continues as they defeated Toman 28-13 on the road. City of Derry picks up their second win with a 19-17 triumph over Seapoint, while Bangor's unbeaten start came to an end with a 34-8 loss at Middleton. And in the Women's All-Ireland League, Cook landed their first win of the season, defeating St Mary's College 20-0 at Templeville Road. So looking ahead to this weekend, there are only Division 1 fixtures in the All-Ireland League this week, Division 2 and the women take a week off but in Division 1B City of Armagh Malone is the Ulster Derby at the Palace Grounds this week Ballymena hosts St Mary's College at Eaton Park Banbridge are away at Nace and Balnahinch travel to Old Belvedere and after the weekend's action I spoke to Malone chairman Patrick Baird We're, we're just glad to get a couple of wins uh, under our belt um, I think the, the team are up for it they, they want the, the push and there's a feeling there that they can be in contention or, or close to the top. Um, I mean, when the All Iron League started, we were we were in the, the top flight and we dropped that that year, and we basically have sat in the the lower, the, the one down or, or two down for the last mm-hmm. twenty five years. So uh, we've been probably one of the only clubs who have been sort of there at a, at a high level, not the highest um, for that length of time. I think that the boys deserved it. They, they, they work hard and train hard and our, our coaching staff and physio um, have really bought into the club and, and enjoy it. And a few of our coaches are ex-first 15 players, uh, you know, <laughs> and have, have been there and that helps as well. Early days, obviously, as you said, but what would it mean for you guys to get back up to that top level? Um, it would be fantastic. It, it really would. Um, I think it's another massive step. Uh are we ready for it? I'm not too sure. Um, but that doesn't mean that the boys aren't going to strive to, to, to achieve the best that they can. One final listener question from the week, which relates to the club. Uh, Connor Reddick says, Schalke van der Merwe sounds like he had a great game for Bambridge at the weekend. Does he finally come in from the cold? Skulk van der Merwe, apparently. Lou Luke was saying we've been pronouncing it wrong all, really? all this time. Yeah. Oh. Skulk. So there we are. There you are. Oh now we know. So now we've learned something this week. Um... Well, you know, he scored a try, and um, the other try that they scored came via a penalty try from the scrum, or initially anyway, so um, he obviously played well at the, the level he was playing at. He's not going to play this week because he's not registered, and the only reason that he could have came into the mix last week was as an emergency front rower, because Ulster would have been left without enough loose heads, thanks to Rodney IU's ban um, for his Celtic Cup transgressions. Um, to be honest, I've been impressed with um, O'Sullivan in recent weeks um, coming off the bench. I think he's done really, really well. So, look, it, it's going to be interesting. The other thing to note with Skulk is um, the press release that came out at the time said it was a two-year deal. He's actually on a three-year deal. So, And he's a project player, not an NIQ. Yeah, so this there's an awful lot of misinformation going on about there, but this isn't um, something that it's a case of he's not going to be around next year unless something can be worked out so it is we understand that people like to uh, like to hear about it and it is something that probably needs to be addressed but in the short term he's certainly not going to play this week anyway mm-hmm. and unless he's 
absolutely tearing up the All-Ireland League. He's probably not going to get a call-up back to the Ulster squad either. Like, you have to be seriously impressing at All-Ireland level to be called back up to the senior squad. And by all accounts, he's severely lacking in match fitness, so he's going to need a few games to at least work himself back up to a level where he impresses. Good news for Banbridge, anyway, which is always good. So on that bombshell, it's time to end the show from Adam McKendrick. Cheers, guys. I'm John Bradley. Thanks very much. I'm myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.